people wonder why I uh, started working when I was 20. Um, and it was because my brother flunked kindergarten. And uh, he was my older brother. And uh, so when my parents decided they're not going to have their second son flunk kindergarten, and so uh, I was well prepared by the time I got to kindergarten. When I got there, uh, they said, gee, this guy uh, can already draw pretty pictures and do all the things you do in kindergarten. So they put me in first grade. And the result of that was uh, I've always was a year ahead, so I graduated from college when I was 20. The problem was I never had dated a girl uh, younger, older, yeah, younger, younger than me, because I was always a year ahead. And my wife is... Uh, is actually seven months older. So, uh, but that's how come I started work when I was 20. But uh, I grew up at uh, living in the LA area here. I grew up at Church of the Open Door, and uh, under uh, at that time it was Dr. Talbot and Dr. Uh, McGee, and it was a great missionary church. And I'd hear these stories as a young person growing up. I remember so clearly hearing Cameron Townsend come back and he'd tell about his stories where he had a travel trailer and a car and he would go in uh, down in Mexico to uh, these uh, the Spanish-speaking people and he, he'd learn Spanish and he would tell of his stories and then he would go to the next group and they were an Indian tribe and he didn't know how to communicate with them and uh, he just felt burdened to to, to somehow be able to communicate. Turns out even the government of Mexico did not know their language. And so he stayed with his travel trailer and his car and uh, tried to learn their language. And uh, he would tell his stories. And eventually, uh, as he uh, would, would put down and he would write a, a book of the Bible, and then he started contacting the Mexican government. And they said, you know, this is tremendous because we have been trying to communicate with all these different tribal people there in Mexico, and, and uh, we support what you're doing. And so he would come back to the United States and tell these stories and try to get people to go down and do what he was doing. And of course, out of that came, uh, he first had one person, then two, then four. And of course, uh, Cameron Townsend changed the name of his little group, and it was called Wycliffe Bible Translators, which is now the largest uh, mission organization in the world. But the stories he would tell would just sit me on the edge of the chair. And I can remember another fellow that I really identified with, Clarence Preeti, who, while I was a small boy, uh, he was interned in World War II. He was a missionary in China, and uh, so uh, he was in a concentration camp. And he would tell these stories, come back, how he almost died. And I thought, man, the only way you can really live for the Lord is really... As a missionary, that's really where the exciting life is. And uh, But I didn't have any bent that way. I didn't feel that that's what I should do. My really uh, bent was toward engineering. And as time went along, I got a tremendous interest in designing uh, weapons. Uh, weapons that, uh, in a sense, were defensive. Uh, you know, it says in Scripture... Um, that a man that does not provide for his own house, and particularly, you know, though of his own family, is worse than an infidel. And if you broaden the context, what does provide for I mean? Security, protection, uh, provision, etc. 
And uh, if you think of that, that could include protecting not only your family, but protecting from outside invaders. And so in a sense, and I could go on, that's a whole different talk, why I believe that it's right and, and proper that I can work building weapons as a Christian and uh, uh, weapons of defense, but they're also very, very powerful weapons. And I, um, we just, uh, I would like to have up here so you can see uh, uh, the missile system that we work on. I mean, responsible for a what is called a SAM system, which is a surface-to-air missile. It's uh, to uh, to uh, kill, if you will, uh, aircraft that are either trying to interdict what is called to come in to get to your particular uh, air base or your asset, uh, or helicopters that are come, trying to come in. And it's a very powerful weapon system. It was used in the Falklands. Uh, one of these weapon systems kept, uh, turns out it was by Argentina, kept the British out of Port Stanley. And they had C-130s coming into Port Stanley every day of the war until finally the Argentines gave up. If they had only known, uh, they were much further ahead than the British. And if they hadn't given up, they had a shortly won. But that's another subject. But uh, this uh, weapon system also is used, uh, has been used in the Mideast. Uh, it turns out Iran was uh, coming in to, to attack some oil lines. And this weapon system was defending some oil lines there and uh, consistently shot down, uh, it turns out, F-4s, F-5s that were built by U.S. but sold to Iran. And finally, the chief of staff of the Air Force here uh, said, look, you guys, you've got to attack those oil lines. And they, and they would not do it. The pilots would not do it. So he says, okay, you guys follow me in and I will show you how to evade the missile systems and... Uh, and uh, knock out this very, very critical oil line that runs through the Mideast. And uh, it turns out the weapon system that I work on shot him down and killed him. And uh, that was the chief of staff of the Air Force. So it's a very powerful weapon and is used uh, throughout the world by, by many nations. But that has allowed me to uh, travel. And uh, I think of... You know, these missionary stories, can God, you know, really use a, an engineer? And uh, I, I remember one time we were in Taiwan, and we met in Taiwan. Taiwan has, as you know, a, a very, very critical relationship with Red China. They basically are at war, uh, uh, but, uh, but it's an undeclared war. And uh, they have tremendous security around their military systems in Taiwan to defend them from a, uh, a raid from Red China. When I was over there, uh, they, through, nations throughout the world come to the U.S. and ask for uh, information on our uh, particular weapon systems, and uh, particularly ones that they're very interested in, and our government uh, provides our allies with information. So I'm requested to go uh, to these various foreign countries. And so I was meeting with the, the uh, uh, really the very chief military leaders of Taiwan one evening. And uh, it's the same group of people, these were their really their four-star generals, that 30 years before had buried Red China when Red China tried to attack at that time Formosa. And Formosa was ready and they uh, 
literally uh, took wiped out the Red Chinese Navy uh, in the in the between the Formosa and what is now Taiwan and the Red China. So these same guys we met with, and then when I got back to my hotel, my uh, suitcase, my briefcase had been totally torn apart and gone through completely. And of course, I'm not everything I I take is really up here, not, uh, I don't take too much, uh, no, none, no classified material. And uh, so then uh, I left the hotel to go to uh, the airport and uh, I was being followed as I, we took the taxi, I knew I was being followed. I got to the airport and, uh, and uh, standing in line to check into the airport there in, in, uh, in Taipei. And uh, a guy jumps out of the crowd and right in front of me takes my picture and uh, then runs off. Uh, that's strange. But it, it shows the, the Red China tracks everything that's going on in Taiwan. And uh, so then I got checked in my bags. I went up and stand in line to get onto the airplane. And again, another guy jumps out of a crowd, stands right in front of me, takes my picture and runs off. And I was happy to get on the get on the airplane, get out of there. Uh, it's interesting on Taiwan. I was going in to brief these very senior people behind kind of a second row of security buildings, and there was a guy. I was being escorted by uh, the military, and I had my briefcase and and view graphs and stuff. And there was two guys standing with a gun and a bayonet at the door. And of course, I was with the military. We were just walking in, and. I got just close and this guy went, they both went with their bayonets right into my stomach. You know, and I stopped quickly, obviously. And, uh, but it shows the security that they have uh, in Taiwan of, of being invaded. And so, uh, you see, missionaries don't have their own exciting stories, even, even uh, people uh, living uh, as an engineer. Well, how... How can a Christian, if you will, live as an engineer at Hughes? Hughes is a large company that I work for. In fact, it's the largest private employer in the state of California. There's 80,000 employees in Hughes. We're the largest electronics defense company in the, in the United States. And of course, we're, we now just got bought by the largest company in the United States, the General Motors Corporation. Um, Hughes has done some interesting things, uh, <clears throat> many inventions, but one that you're all familiar with is the lasers. Uh, at Hughes is where the laser got invented. Uh, most of the satellites, in fact, 80% of all the satellites that are, that are uh, except for the moon, but that are out in space uh, were built by Hughes Aircraft Company. So it's a, a very uh, quiet, uh, uh, but very highly technical uh, company. So what is a Christian doing there? But you know, the Bible shows time and time again that God uses, if you will, uh, regular people in industry, uh, wherever their situation. I mean, you, you take, uh, you know, throughout the Bible, Moses, you know, he was, if you will, uh, put into a position as perhaps the... Uh, second in command there, and, uh, but God chose to use him. David was a shepherd. Uh, Joshua, he was a general. And, uh, you know, Nehemiah, uh, he was in the king's court when uh, 
God really put on his heart. Matthew was a tax collector, Luke a doctor. Uh, Peter and, and John were just fishermen, you know. So it's, it's just regular business people that God uh, uses. But all because, why? They're, they're focused on, on him and he can use it. And I'll talk, I'll talk more about that. Uh, well, you say, how can a, a person, a Christian, who doesn't, if you will, party with the crowd, how can he, in a, in a company or in a corporation, uh, get into a responsible position? You know, I've always heard that you really got to, uh, to get with the group. Well, the answer is very simple. How did Daniel become the prime minister in Babylon, if you will? Was it uh, because he partied with the crowd? No, it was in the sovereignty of God, he got into a responsible position. It's not, it has nothing to do with whether you party with a crowd. <clears throat> I have never asked for a promotion, and I have never asked for a raise. But what is my task? <clears throat> First Timothy 6.1 is, one, is uh, one of the good verses. It says, let all who are under the yoke as slaves or as an employee regard their own masters, their bosses, as worthy of all honor. In every case, you honor your boss and so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. So I have a tremendous responsibility at Hughes Aircraft Company. I've got to live my life and I have got to work so diligently that the name of God, that I, they all know that I'm a Christian, that, that I won't bring any uh, detriment, if you will, upon the name uh, of God. And so therefore, I encourage you, if you have a job or when you get a position, that if you are lazy on your job, do not ever admit that you're a Christian. According to 1 Timothy, we must honor our bosses. And in fact, we've got to work for them as if they are Christ himself. They're working for him so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And so in God's sovereignty, I've been put into increasing responsible positions. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's been exciting. You know, I, this morning, I'm... Uh, Trying to read again uh, the Bible through. And this morning I just read a verse in Nehemiah. And uh, it, was, it was super on, on this particular subject. Because they were, they were, you know, they had just rebuilt the walls of, of Jerusalem under the leadership of Nehemiah, who served, in the, as I said, in the king's court of Babylon. And uh, under, when they uh, got the walls up, they, did, they needed a guy to be in charge of Jerusalem, to be mayor of Jerusalem, if you will. And I wanted to, it, it popped out at me again, the very thing we're talking about, of what is this guy's job qualifications? When God was looking for a person to be in charge of a, quote, secular job, but I, I believe there's no such thing. Um, he said this. It says, then I appointed 
This is Nehemiah now, under the, under the guidance of the Lord. My brother and Haniah, the commander of, of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. So he appointed this guy, that, who, uh, Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, to be in charge of Jerusalem. Now, what was his job qualifications? Listen to this. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. That was his job qualifications. But that's the type of person, if God wants a job done, like with Daniel, or he wants a certain uh, testimony or a certain uh, responsible, these are the job qualifications. He was a faithful man and feared God. And if God so chooses, then uh, he'll put you in a position where you can be maximally effective for him. It is his choice where you serve in a company. Your choice, your responsibility is to obedient to, to, to him. Uh, well, you say, okay, that's well and good, but boy, in my particular job, I've got many situations that maybe would be compromising. And uh, I thought I would, I, I've had several diff difficult situations to deal with, but, but let me quickly, uh, we mentioned we had the privilege of briefing leaders of nations. And one uh, privilege I had uh, here was to go brief King Hussein. Uh, he is, in, is the king of, of Jordan and uh, having made many trips to Jordan and met with their military, King Hussein is very interested in uh, every weapon system that his country buys. He he's a, has a fascination uh, with weapons. And so before there's any procurement, he personally gets briefed. And uh, the interesting thing, I, I'll just throw this in, I didn't mean to, but when I went in there, I had a a briefcase. It's a black briefcase. I uh, take it's it's uh, about this wide, so thick, so big. Uh, and the beauty is, I can get in uh, two different rows of view graphs. Uh, so no matter what the subject, uh, I've got I've got I can cover them. And uh, but anyway, I took in this black briefcase, and I was thinking as I was going in to see him, this is unbelievable because nobody. Uh, asked me to open my briefcase to see what was in it. I could have carried in a, a shotgun in that and, and nobody would have uh, known the difference. I was comparing that with Taiwan and other places we've been where the, the security is so tight. But anyway, we went in, we briefed him, and that evening they had a reception for us. As, as, uh, uh, and uh, we went, they took us down to uh, a town in the Jordan Valley near the Jordan River. And they showed us across the Jordan Valley. This was getting on to late in the evening. Uh, they said, now there across there is Jericho. Those lights over there are all of Jericho. And we drove into this town, and it was filthy. Uh, uh, they're very poor in Jordan. And uh, the town was just shacks. I mean, it was really... Uh, we went to this one stopped in front of this place, and here's these high walls maybe 20 feet high around this, uh, uh, maybe uh, twice the size of this gym, but these very high walls around this particular area. We stopped. When we got there, the gates opened, went inside, and here was a paradise, an oasis, swimming pools, trees, uh, beautiful gardens, and a big home. And there they had this reception. So we were enjoying this reception. 
and eating dinner. And then uh, out comes, and you know, it's interesting, your guitars. You know, in Arab, they have a guitar, but there's about 20 notes between what is on our piano, one note. I mean, it just, if you're familiar with Arab, it sounds very different. Anyway, they go on and on with this music. And uh, I was sitting there enjoying my dinner and with these very uh, kind guests. And out comes a belly dancer. Now, what do I do? So I got up, excused myself, and I went across the garden and, uh, and uh, took a Pepsi-Cola with me and uh, stood over there. And, and uh, finally, one of the wives from the American delegation came over. She didn't enjoy that either. And, uh, and so you will be put into situations that you have to get out of and, and leave. And, uh, and so I've been in situations like that, and you just have to get up, excuse yourself, and, and get out of them. Um, there was a, 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 there's other situations, though. Uh, quite often, as guests of a country were invited, they think the right thing is to have a reception that evening. It could be uh, hors d'oeuvres, and they often have drinks. They always have soft drinks. No matter where I've gone in the world, they always have soft drinks. I remember in Korea, we were having a reception from very, very senior military people. And uh, they came with their chauffeur-driven cars, and they came in, and we talked. Well, I was sitting there with my Coca-Cola, and up came, a, came another Korean officer, very high level, and he had a Pepsi-Cola in his hand. And he asked me, he said, uh, well, what has really impressed you with uh, Korea? And I said, well, uh, let me tell you, Sunday I went to the Young Nock Presbyterian Church, which is you know, an enormously large church, and I was telling him how much I enjoyed it and how they have earphones in the church where you can listen in English uh, to the Korean, uh, the whole Korean message and everything. And I said, I was just enjoying it. He said, ah, he says, you're a Christian. I said, yes. He says, well, I'm a Christian. So we sat, sat, we stood and talked the whole time during this reception with this other Christian. And as people would come up, didn't make any difference. We would keep talking. And, uh, and then it was so, it was really something because towards the end of the evening, then all these military officers stood uh, in a line. And uh, the American delegation would, would stand here in a line. And they bowed and thanked us for coming. And then they turned around and walked out the door. Well, just as they got to the door, this one colonel or general, I don't remember, he turned around and, and uh, there we were all with the embassy people and such. He turned around and he pointed to me and he said, and by the way, God bless you very much. And he turned around and walked out. And all the people from the American embassy and stuff, they looked at me and <laughs> what's going on here? I reminded a couple weeks ago, a very similar situation happened. I was down, we just had opened a big facility in New Mexico uh, to repair this weapon system. And uh, so the senators were there and I was talking to them. But it turns out the developer of that facility was the cousin of Senator Domenici, who uh, is head of the budget committee of the state of, state of uh, uh, for the United States. And uh, he also had a Coca-Cola in his hand. And we started talking. It turns out, here he's the developer of this facility, but he also has a Bible study 
uh, in his home, and we would we would stand and talk about things of the Lord, and uh, up would come people from uh, either the state of New Mexico or the United States government or, or from Hughes. They'd listen a while, and then they'd walk away. And but you can always uh, find a fellowship, even in situations that maybe uh, no question. Well. Uh, let me ask, you say, well, you know, it all sounds good. Have you ever blown it? What are lessons you can learn from, from having blown it? I thought I'd relate one. About uh, quite a few years ago, uh, about uh, well, close to 14 years ago, but I can remember it as yesterday. I was responsible to pull together a very, very uh, technical proposal to integrate a weapon system into the B-1 bomber. At that time, it was called AMSA, uh, and uh, Advanced Manned Strategic Aircraft. It eventually then became the B-1. And we presented the avionics integration uh, proposal uh, to do all the avionics, all the electronics on board the B-1. It was a mammoth task. And uh, there was no question that we were the most qualified people uh, to, uh, to do that. And so uh, I headed this team. And we had 60 to 80 very, very senior scientists and engineers. We worked night and day for two months. And we, sub we got this proposal ready, and I thought, I'm going to make sure that this thing gets to mail. And by the way, <clears throat> on a proposal, the law of the United States is if they submit a request for a proposal and they say it's got to be in uh, by a with a postmark of a certain date in the mail. In other words, if you know contract law, you maybe that uh, when if they send you a request in the mail, you must respond in the mail, and it must be on there. Or by law, they cannot accept it. Well, we were getting down the last day. We had it published, this multi-volume document. We took it there and uh, got to the post office, and the post office had closed the day that we had to have this in. They had closed 10 minutes before we got there. And I thought, this can't be. You know, we, uh, and uh, so I rapped at the window. I panicked. I rapped at the window and I said, uh, you've got to, you know, you know, it's one of these post offices you can get in, but you know, all the windows are closed. So I've made enough noise. And finally a guy came and I said, you've got to take this and postmark it this day. He says, I'm sorry, we're closed. I can't do it. I said, hey, you've got to. He said, I, I'm not going to do it. And uh, I thought, well. So I pulled out my wallet and I gave him 10 bucks. I said, you've got to post off. You've got to do it. And, you know, he did it. And all the guys I was with said, man, that was good thinking. And you know what? My heart was sick. I knew I had done wrong. And I know that in no way can God bless you or the work you do if there's sin, if you have sinned, in, uh, and I bribed the guy. And to everyone's great surprise but me, we lost that program. And I knew it was because I sinned. And that has been, if there is, is sin in my life, I can remember some missiles. Uh, we go down to White Sands Missile Range where most of the missiles are shot for the United States. And we shoot most of the foreign countries' down, uh, missiles down there, too. And uh, there are times when uh, I can absolutely track you if there is sin in my life 
and, and God holds me responsible for this program, that uh, uh, things do not go well. And so if you want God to bless you, in whether no matter whether it's in industry or not, you must live a clean life. Let me, because uh, of time, uh, skip over. You know, let me tell you, when I was going to USC, it was right at the time when all the Korean War veterans were coming back. And these guys were motivated. They were there to learn. And I was a young kid just out of, uh, I went to junior college, Glendale Junior College, and then on to USC. And man, these, there was this one teacher who was always about three to four minutes late to class. And all these Korean veterans went to the dean of the college and said, hey, we got a real severe problem. Said, we got this teacher and he always shows up about three minutes late. Now we're here to learn. You know, we're here on the GI Bill. We paid our money. We're working nights. Of course, most all of them had families, and they were furious that this teacher was three minutes late. They said, and that was the environment that, you know, I wasn't that motivated, but that was the environment that I had to compete in, and it was a it was an environment of survival. And I learned then that the only way you survive is on a daily basis, daily basis, going into the Word of God. Uh, today is no different. The 30 years that I've been uh, working, it's, it's a daily survival. The Lord has always put me in a position that I cannot handle on my own. I must have His wisdom and His guidance each day. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, I, here a couple weeks ago, uh, I was, I was uh, in a real quandary. You know, whether we should proceed, I'm, right now we're going after a very, very major program. And uh, should we really expend the tremendous amount of money that it's going to take uh, of our profit money to go after this very major program? And that morning, you say this is a living word. I stay here in the morning till really the Lord speaks. This is a living word. Let me just read you a couple of verses that I read that morning. I was going through, you know, just ahead of where I was this morning. Second Chronicles. Um, I could just, let me just read you one. It says, but you be strong and do not lose courage for there is reward for your work. Man, Lord, is that, is that for me today? And then I, you know, kept reading a couple more verses. It says, uh, And all Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. Who is it that finds God? The one that seeks him, it says. And uh, listen, I, just a couple more verses. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Thank you, Lord. We're proceeding on. And every day, there's something here. And I encourage you to go, oh, the New Testament's super. But man, I love the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. And, and, and uh, it, it is so rich. And so it's, how do you get along in your daily life? It's a daily survival. Only one day at a time you have to live. Take up your cross daily and, and follow Him. So I get up... You know, 15 to 30 minutes and spend time reading 
until I get something really that is for him, uh, from him. Well, let me tell you one other thing I do, and that is, and I'm sure you do do, you need wisdom. And I need wisdom. What are the decisions uh, that have to be made? Uh, I go back to work and there'll be 20 people waiting for decisions. How do I get those decisions? How do you get those decisions? Well, <laughs> there's been some great help. And, and there's a, a book out that I love. It's, uh, it's called God's Wisdom for Daily Living. And, and Thomas Nelson put it out. And it's the book of Proverbs. And what they did, you know, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters, but they were arranged or accumulated by Solomon. Okay, they were accumulated by Solomon, but they're in basically random order. Some of them uh, are, are fit together, but in some sense, well, Thomas Nelson took the book of Proverbs and organized them by subject, by subject. And they still have 31 chapters, so you can, each morning of the month, Read a book of Proverbs. Only it's by subject. And I have found, this is just a hint, I have found that by organizing my subject, it can get into my brain. And so as I go over that, over and over and over and over, God's wisdom from the book of Proverbs becomes then my wisdom. And so you, you know, on a given decision, they'll never be two the same, but if you know the theory behind the decision, you'll be able to make the right decision. So I would encourage you to get the book of Proverbs only organized by subject, because I have loved it. I have loved it, and it, it is really... Well, let me... Our time is up. Uh, let me say about a month ago, I was in Paris, and we were had, there was a big... Uh, a Department of Defense, very senior members of our Department of Defense were making a, a survey of weapon systems throughout the world for a given application. And the one I uh, work on is also uh, produced in uh, France and Germany. So I was giving this talk. And uh, I opened the talk as follows. Now here is our Department of Defense uh, senior people. And I opened my talk with Proverbs 25.2. And it says, It is the glory of kings to search out a matter. And then I told him, I said, You know, I appreciate and you gentlemen bring glory to yourselves and to our government by searching out this matter. And so, was, and then I went into the, to our briefing. And it's, it's just, you find opportunities all the time. Uh, does the Lord... Hear our prayers. About two months ago, uh, our government was going in one direction. And I felt it was wrong. Many other people felt it was wrong. But they were going in one direction. <clears throat> and and I, I prayed the Lord, Lord, unless this has to do with the end times, and you're setting up the nations in Europe uh, to uh, for the alignment of nations, because the, in the competition was a Swiss weapon system out of Switzerland, a French and German system, the British. And uh, I said, unless it has to do with, with setting up in your plan, God, if you will, I would pray that they might change and be this, do the following. And, and they did. I came in that Monday to report to our people, and I gathered about 50 of our senior people together. 
And I said, I started out and told him about Proverbs 21.1. I said, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. And of course, most of these people are, uh, are non-Christians. And with amazement, they, they listen. They better not laugh because I'm the boss. But, but they listen. And it's the testimony that the Lord controls things. Two weeks ago, uh, the very same thing happened in uh, uh, our Taft, who was the Deputy Secretary Weinberger. Uh, they, they had again gone in the wrong direction. And through prayer, uh, when he went to, uh, to, to Britain, he got beat up by the British, literally, uh, in, uh, in uh, the strategy that, that the government, our government was taking. He went to Germany the next day and got beat up there. And he called back to Weinberger and said, we've got to change this. This is wrong what we're doing. And the thing is, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it whithersoever he will. And this is exciting. So when I started out, I said, can a Christian really be part of the business life of America? You bet. It's the most exciting life that I could ever imagine. And thank you so much for the opportunity of talking to you.